It's Gary Parish. It's Saturday, July 13, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. We are both in Augusta, Georgia, just across the river from beautiful North Augusta, South Carolina, with a 24th annual Nike uh, Peach Jam is still taking place. We've both been here since Wednesday. We both spent uh, the past three days watching basketball and talking to basketball coaches. Now we're talking to each other after a nice meal. Nice meal. At Frog Hollow last night. Norlander. Yeah. How are you recovering from your nice meal at Frog I'm, Hollow last I'm night? I'm recovering nice. The uh, mac and cheese appetizer was good. Yeah, that's a good little spot there in Augusta. That's, the, that's our favorite. If, we, if we're giving out Yelp um, recommendations yes. on the podcast, our favorite place to eat a nice meal in augusta georgia is frog hollow it will it is that is a uh, that's a legit place there very much enjoyed that and now face to face again it's nice three to be weeks here. removed from the from the post draft podcast let the record show i walked to your hotel this morning let you didn't the, walk to mine let the record show i brought the podcast equipment <laughs> got the microphones this time in augusta so we're gonna do this yes thank you it's for a hard walk here. because in some places when you walk outside it looks very normal like if yeah. you're just walking around downtown of of basically any major city it it looks normal there's other people walking around the walk from my hotel to your hotel doesn't look normal it looks like your car broke down and you're walking (laughs) and you're walking down this road that nobody else is walking down and because we're in like a cluster of hotels yes i can just always because i've made this walk twice now not once just to get something to eat i was gonna get there but you're already there yeah it wants to get something to eat and then secondly this time and i'm just assuming there's coaches like driving back to their hotel (laughs) or from their hotel and they're like is that Gary Parrish just walking down the street? It looks like I, I don't look like I'm walking to get something. I look like yeah, I, yeah. I look like my car broke down it's and I'm just walking down the road. It's ridiculous. You did this actually, so I didn't see this happen, but you told me last night. Um, apparently, just you know, things got to a point where you're just like, I'm just going to walk to the Denny's, and it's not walking down the street. You got to walk past the hotels. <laughs> There's like a three way, a three lane highway on both sides. You didn't have to cross the road. Yes, did you? I did have to cross the road. You had to cr- run across. And I almost got hit by a car. That's like a solid 35 yards. Oh, it's a big. I'm running a post route for sure <laughs> to get to Denny's. I went to Denny's. They got those skillets. I like the skillets. How are you going to go? How are you going to go Denny's over Waffle House, by the way? Well, maybe. I want, you, here's, I, do you have them where you live? Waffle House. Of course. Okay. See, I, Connecticut me. I don't I don't have them. So. No, there's a Waffle House. <laughs> do I have? Dude, I, I don't. I, I live dude, in, I've never I live, been to Memphis. I, I live know. in Mississippi. Fair enough. <laughs> yes, we have Waffle Houses All right. everywhere. All right. Um, you're, you're never too far from one. Um, honestly, I would prefer. You know what? I'm not. I think I'd prefer Waffle House to Denny's, but Denny's was. 300 yards closer. Okay. So it was really just... You're uh, like, I, I got to get out of this I was like, I can't keep walking around like an idiot. Diddy's is the closest place. When I... When I when I set out on my journey, it was not to walk to Denny's. It was to walk down there because I right. knew there was stuff down there. And then when I got to where you're crossing the road, like Denny's is literally straight across the street. It's the closest place. <laughs> There's like a Dunkin' Donuts down here right. and a Starbucks down here and then a Waffle House over there. But Diddy's is the closest... So when it, you got I, it, I got this. You got I, well, the reason the why we're, we're even in this situation to begin with was when you booked the hotel. So you're you're at the Marriott. I'm at a Hilton. You got it like five days before I veteran did. move. So you got in. So I couldn't get the same. So next year we'll try and book the same day. So, you know, we're just walking up the, and down. The one thing floor. about booking hotels is like if you're going to New York, you don't really have to book a hotel that early. There are hotels everywhere. Uh, same thing with Las Vegas. There are hotels everywhere. Augusta, Georgia, for Peach Jam, you better book your hotel yeah. 
three months, four months. Yeah. I, I can remember booking hotel for Augusta to make sure I get where I want to be, like, before the final four. Just because, like, hotels are um, – they go quickly here. It, it's why it's such a – um, a huge economic impact on the city. All of these basketball players and coaches right. and families coming here. It's a huge deal. I would assume, and I read a story about this in the Augusta newspaper, whatever it's Chronicle. called. Chronicle. Augusta Chronicle. There we go. Um, where they're like, it, it's, I believe the, the way it was presented was, the Masters is obviously, from Far an economic, away. it's yeah. not even close, right? right? But Peach Jam is second. I believe, I totally believe that. When right. you look at how many teams... 15, 16, 17, there's 50, there's 54 teams here with the family. Exactly. The families, media, coaches, everyone else, the whole, the whole area. Yeah. It's been around 24 years. That's crazy. Yeah. 24 years. This is the 24. So, um, after we left frog hollow last night, we both could have, could have went out and it's Friday night in Augusta. I know. Let's get after it. But we decided, you know what? Let's get a nice, nice sleep and, uh, we'll be well rested for the podcast and just the weekend in general. Yeah. And because uh, we'd been out late the night before. <laughs> and uh, so I went back to the room and I didn't fall straight asleep, but I eventually fell asleep. And then had a dream about you. Oh. <laughs> I had a dream about you. Yeah, uh, all right. Well, I didn't know this is where we were going, but real quick. So you're going to tell me your dream. I, I had a dream. <laughs> I had a dream last night. I had a dream last night that I went to Nick Saban's lakeside house. Kristen Bell was his daughter. Okay. And they were trying to get to, from where I live in Connecticut to the to the, to Long Island through the sound, and I didn't know what was happening. It was just bizarre. And Nick Saban was in a great mood. That well, was the weirdest. He was like in the greatest mood ever. Probably because his daughter it was, was there. It was weird. I, I, don't know what was going on anyway, but I want to hear about your dream and, and if Mine it's is, good for the podcast. I don't know if it's as bizarre, but it, it was. Bu- so it's it's not just you and I. It's 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 you. It's me. And it's Jason Momoa. Call Drago. Aquaman. 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 It's me, you and Aquaman. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sounds And kinky. for some reason, we are in a helicopter trying to get somewhere. But the 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 bottom of the helicopter, like. You know, where I, I would assume it's like metal or whatever you make helicopters out of and then like seats and stuff. It wasn't that. It was like a trampoline. And we were all sitting on the trampoline. That, and, and Jason Momoa was flying the helicopter. And before we or like right after we took off, he was like, it's very important that we all stay where we're at to keep the helicopter balanced. So you were like over here and I was over here and he was in the front flying the helicopter that has a bottom of a trampoline. And we get up in the air and we're going over a body of water and I slipped and I went and I slid down to where he was. And then you were freaking out because we started as I would be. And, and, and because it, and so you reach for me like GP, I, I'll pull you up. And instead I pull you down. So now it's me, you, Jason Momoa, all on the same side of the helicopter. We crash in the water. We live. We swim to like some rocky area. That wasn't, fortunately, too far away. And uh, so we're all safe on the rocky area, but we have no idea how we're going to get out of here. We don't have cell phones. We we're, with, we're with Aquaman. We're, we're with Aquaman. Think about that for a second. So if you, this just occurred to me. If you're going to crash in water, probably worth being with Aquaman. Sure. Is that how Aquaman works? I honestly don't even Something know how Something like Aqu- that. I don't know. All I don't I even know. know how Aquaman works. Like, I don't even He's know under wh- the water. What does Aquaman do? Do you I even know. know? I actually don't know when I have not like, seen Like, I know what movie. Superman does. He flies. 
and like Spider-Man does those webs. Maybe what does Aquaman do? I have no idea. Talk to the dolphins. Maybe he talks to dolphins. Maybe talk. So pres- maybe he could have gotten inside of this. We're on this rocky area. We're walking. And there's snakes and stuff. And then that was it. I woke up. That's the end of the story. That is. Uh, <laughs> first of all, what did we eat? What did we eat? That I had a pork chop. Yeah, I had uh, I had a little shrimp and grits, but yeah, Frog Hollow might have done us in there. That was. <laughs> I feel like this is the second or third time on the podcast you've talked about me popping up in your dreams. So I'm. I dream about you. I'm flattered. I'm very much flattered. You're dreamy. By, by the way, before we get to um, the games, I do want to say we we I will not give up the coach. But on Thursday night, we got some absurdly good stories from from a coach that I wish we could tell these on the podcast. We have to remove, yeah. But just this is how in, good the story inside are. the inside the business kind of deal. Like, and the coach who gave them to us, I never would have ever expected it to be that good. The stories were this good. I am, and you and I talked about this yeah. last night. I am strongly considering this preseason at some point going to where this coach works. It ain't anywhere close to me. Right, going to where this coach works, flying there just to sit down with him and have him retell these stories for print so yes. that I can retell these stories. They were that they were, the stories were that good. So like th- th- that's the other thing about this event. It, it is true. We are getting a chance to watch the next stars of college basketball. And I, I think that's primarily why we're here so that, you know, we can come on this podcast or sit down in front of our computer and write columns um, heading into each season sure. about, um, these freshmen who most people have never seen mm-hmm. but are going to be stars within the sport, um, and, and we can speak about them, about them with some degree of, of knowledge. Yeah. You know, we can tell you about Zion Williamson before you see Zion in a Duke uniform or R.J. Barrett or um, Trey Young or Michael Porter Jr. or any of these yeah. in recent years. And so I do think that's the primary advantage of being a, at Peach Jam – we are watching, I, I think the final tally was eight of the top ten rising seniors in the country are here. I think it's, yeah, it's 16 of the top 25, so it is a big number. Like it's, it's a, a big, big number. Cluster, yeah. I think that's unusually it's, big. It seems more than normal because yeah. usually you'll have Adidas and Under Armour total have a few more, but the, the way it fell this year, Nike's, the, Nike's got most yeah. of the good And that's days. not even including, we'll get to them later in the podcast, that's not even including the talent that's considered the best player among uh, – any high school player, well, here, that's Imani Bates. Right. So they've got uh, eight of the top 10, 16 of the top 25 rising seniors. Yep. The top, each of the top four rising juniors. And the consensus number one rising sophomore in America, arguably the best high school prospect in America, Imani right. uh, uh, Bates. So like getting a chance to see all of these players um, is big for our jobs. But also the time you get with coaches, whether it's in the gym or in our case, a couple nights ago, you know, on the, on the patio of a restaurant, um, you know, just uh, just getting to know each other right. better than you knew each other, um, you know, 20 minutes ago is, is worthwhile as well. And this particular coach was – he had incredible stories about this very specific thing, but also, like, was an incredible storyteller. Yeah. Um, sometimes people have great stories, but they don't know how to tell the stories. They're not good storytellers. 
Um, this guy is a remarkable storyteller. So, like, I might really just go to where he lives and sit down and say, I want to just retell your stories because those are so, incredible So, yeah, this is, a, this is obviously a big blind item, but uh, that, needs to, that needs to be done. And when it, if and when it is, then the listeners will know who it is. But uh, <laughs> some of those things are just <laughs> unbelievable. And, yeah, it is good to sit with the coaches because they're in, uh, they're in a more – like, at this time of the year, like, don't get me wrong, they are, they are definitely – trying to evaluate some are done evaluating some are recruiting in fact i'll have a story i think it might publish this weekend if not it'll publish monday but i spent the entire friday with a mid-major coach who won't be disclosed uh and you'll see why in the story but um he actually enlightened me to a lot of stuff it's like actually when i come to a peach jam I have probably already evaluated a lot of the guys I need to evaluate, and now it's about recruiting, and it's two different things. Like Once you've evaluated, it's just you're babysitting, you're following around. And so my point, GP, is that if they're not really evaluating and they're just sitting there because they've got to recruit, right. that's that's when they're loose. To, you, know, you can talk about anything, not even hoops-related, whatever. It is, it is a good environment, and it's still good despite the fact, I will say, the PCM is a great event. It gets bigger every year the building got expanded by two other gyms it still feels like too small of a building for the it, event it, that it, it it's is. too small now and the crowds are just insane um they have they must gp they must have 40 security members if not more it here. feels like it's way more it's it, incredible. Feel, it feels like it's easier to cross the border <laughs> than it is to like walk somewhere you're not supposed to walk at peach jam given all of the nike security crazy I, I touched on this in a column. Just yeah, yeah, just yeah. Well, it's just one line in a column. Probably self-indulgent. Like it has become le like less useful from a media perspective because how intensely Nike security wants to control every aspect right. of everything. Whereas when you go to an Under Armour event or an Adidas event, it's a little more relaxed. Like people aren't asking you nonstop, right. what are you doing? Where are you going? Right. At Nike, they are asking, like they wouldn't let you walk out of the exit sometime. Crazy. Like we, we had to negotiate our way out of the building. Like, hey, we're just, we're just trying to leave. Yes. Can we just leave? Right. It's like, well, you have to go. The, the door is right there. Can we just leave? This is not a big deal. Like, so, so that's a negative aspect of it. Um, the the facility's too small for the event now, and it's not a small facility. It's no, six it's not. gyms. Well, well, well. Here's the the thing. Another coach pointed out to me. A coach pointed out to me last night. Um, what happens when the one and done rule is gone, and they start allowing NBA uh. people to come here? Now every NBA team is going to send three people here, four people here. So now you're you know it's just you're adding people on top of people on top of people. There's already not enough room in in these gyms to watch, particularly when the elite players are playing. You already there's there is a line out the door all day every day yes. for a particular gym. Um so 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 that's an issue, but um still it's a it's a it's a it's a worthwhile event. It is a worthwhile event. It's also the first year of the new recruiting rules. So just a quick refresh on GP protocol. We'll touch on this now. Um, obviously FBI stuff happens. Emmerich creates the commission. Condoleezza Rice heads it up. And now this is a year ago. It was real concern from coaches over losing the peach jam. They keep the peach jam, but now, so what happened was Friday, this is pool play and then tournament play, just like the world cup or whatever. People are familiar with the concept. So on Friday night, a lot of teams 
played their final game uh, in grassroots for the entire uh, for the summer, or at least for the purposes of coaches recruiting them. It's done. They're done. Like I was sitting next to like some of these players might go to Vegas and play, but coaches right. are not. They will not see for them. the first time in forever. Coaches will not be allowed to be in Las Vegas evaluating prospects later this month. That is correct, and plenty of pl- prospects might not even. Uh, wind up even going to Vegas. We'll, we'll wait and see on that. I was sitting next to two power conference coaches when one team lost on Friday night, and it was like 7.30 when they lost or whatever, and they were like, I'm done. I can't see this kid the rest of the summer. It's, there was just there was a feeling of um, disappointment, and you can kind of vamp on your column here, but uh, the point is while there are still other events later in July, and some of the coaches I talked to were like, We'll adapt. This happens every eight to ten years. We're going to live with this, and then by like 2027, it's going to change again. Like we're just going to have to live with it. It still feels like an overcorrection and a miss, uh, a misfire on on fixing the issue. So w- one of the uh, byproducts of like being here and being in the gym with coaches is that you end up talking to them about a variety of things. Uh, still, the FBI investigation comes up pretty regularly. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah. Who do you think's next? Can you believe that guy still has his job? A lot of that. Um, you'll get conversations. You'll get into conversations about, with coaches about their teams. So, you know, uh, you know hey, how, how's this kid been since you got him on campus? That kind of stuff. And then, inevitably, the conversations would turn to the recruiting calendar. Like, this is a mess. And so I decided, because I had talked to one coach after another after another about this, like, I'll write a column on that. So that column published on Friday. You can find it on my Twitter feed or CBSSports.com. And the gist of the column is that, uh, by their own admission, these changes were a byproduct, a reaction to the FBI investigation. The NCAA said, we have to do something, and they formed a committee, because I mean, what else can nobody forms committees better than the NCAA? Nobody in the uh, in the aftermath of of bad things. Let's get a committee together. So they formed a committee. Condoleezza Rice, uh, former Secretary of State, um, is the head of the committee, and they're going to address a whole lot of different things. Among things, among them, the recruiting calendar. And so they announced these changes. So this time last year, we knew what they were on the verge of doing, what they were about to do, regional camps. And there was some thought that, yes, they were going to get rid of Peach Jam as well. Right. Or, or just the live event, period. So Peach Jam is part of the live event. Yeah. And it's the biggest. They were going to get rid of horror. they were going to get rid of grassroots basketball. Yeah. And to their credit, let me give credit. The NCAA sent people here and they saw it up close. And it really does fly in the face of stereotypical AAU basketball. What When people think of AAU basketball, they think of. Uh, it's just kids playing four games a day. Um, it's just a bunch of dunking and uh, one-on-one. Um, you know, nobody cares who wins or loses. And that is that. there is some of that somewhere. That's not Peach Jam. These kids care about this. They want to win. It means something to them. Like when a kid wins a high school state championship, you know, we put it uh, on the cover of the local newspaper, yeah. and it's a big deal. You know, so this school won a state championship. They make movies about them sometimes. To these kids, this is bigger. Yeah. Because they're, they they know they're competing against the other best the players yeah. in the country. So these games are well played. You know, players are setting screens. Players are fighting through screens. Um, coaches are running stuff. I'm not going to try to pretend that this looks like um, NBA basketball in the sense that it, – it, but it, it is not stereotypical AU. That's yeah. all I'm saying. 
Um, the games are well played. They are competitive. Kids are competing. And the NCAA came here, and they saw it up close. Like, this event is well run. It's organized. Um, and, and, and it's a great evaluation tool because you are, as a coach, watching future high major players play against future high major players. What good does it do you to watch a future high major player in a high school game play against a team of players who can't, who will never be on the right. court with him or, or anybody like him at any level of sport going forward? So the NCAA came, you know, that, that's, that's useless on some level. This is different than that. So the NCAA came here, they saw it up close, they said, we're going to keep Peach Jam. But they did eliminate the second evaluation period in July and the third evaluation period in July. It used to be where um, Peach Jam would be right at the, you know, right Star, now. Yeah. And then there would be another five-day period in the next week, mm -hmm. starting on Wednesday night, and events would be anywhere in the country. Right. And then after that, it was five days in Vegas. And then we'd call it a that, – that's the end of grassroots right. basketball for the year. Um, they kept Peach Jam. They eliminated the second week and the third week. And they replaced it with – oh, and they sliced the number of days in April as well. Yes. So depending on the calendar, that's yeah. So they slice it. Be, yes, yeah. And they replaced it with they added two high school centric events in the month of June for the states that wanted to actually participate, and not all states did. So that was a problem. And then later this month, they will allow coaches to evaluate at a USA Basketball event. But as one mid-major coach told me, what good does that do me? I'm, like, not recruiting a gold medalist. Right. You know, so, like, that that, that comes into play for 25 to 30 teams. Yeah. Kentucky will be there. Duke yes. will be there. Arizona will be there. Memphis will be there. Um, you know, uh, 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 Murray State probably won't. Right? Almost certainly will not. It doesn't yeah. help them in any way. Right. And me, at the same time or around the same time, there will be these regional camps that – have not happened yet, so we'll see. But the early prediction is that they are going to be of no use to almost anybody, certainly at the high major level, because players are not ex Division One players aren't expected to go to these things for the most part. And those are at UConn, Illinois, Houston, and Grand Canyon. Yes, yeah, so that's the first year, and there is a lot of skepticism. I, t I talked to a number of coaches. A lot of coaches are going to go but uh, two coaches in particular told me like i know like the, the, they basically identified like here are three or four of my top targets right. uh, from everything i understand those guys are not going to be there so i'm just like the, the high major schools i the high major coaches i talked to are like not all but some certainly the top of the top like i talked to a coach at the top of the top last night he's like we're not sending anybody to the regional camps Huh. Like no nobody we would even consider right, we'll is there. going to be yeah. at, at so one of those point? things. So what's the point? Um, mid majors will be there. Low majors will be yes. there. Division twos will be there. But the NCAA's plan was, we'll take these kids who have been playing that week in July, I mean that that week in Las Vegas. We'll get them to all come to our regional camps, and the kids are like, nah, we're gonna go play in Las Vegas with our grassroots team. We're still gonna go. Even yeah. if coaches can't come. Right. So the, the, the goal here for the NCAA was to, I think, change for the sake of change on some level, but also try to take back some of the control of the shoe companies and the grassroots coaches and put it back in the hands of high school people and the NCAA. 
and it just simply put has not worked. Um, they, the shoe companies still have as much influence as they've ever had. Grassroots coaches still have as much influence as they've ever had. Evidence being that the grassroots coaches are saying to the kids, in some cases, your option is to go to these regional camps or come with me. You're with me. You've been with me for years. We're going to Las Vegas. It doesn't matter. The NCAA can screw with the recruiting calendar. We're going to Vegas. You're not going to those regional camps. So they still have control. And um, the best way I could put it is they took a thing that was something, flawed but something, and they made it worse. And so if the goal is to take back control from shoe companies, grassroots people, and improve the system, the point of my column is they failed on on every point. They did not make this better. They did not take control of grass from grassroots people. They did not minimize or decrease the role that shoe companies play. It's, you know, I had one coach, the lead quote in the column, say, can you believe they let Condoleezza Rice tell us how recruiting should work? It would be like me telling a dentist how to do a root canal. And that is a colorful way to put it. Sure. But that is largely the opinion of the coaches that I've spoken with. I spoke to a couple coaches who said – one in particular who actually brought up was on his phone, brought up your tweet that linked to your column and said, it does us no good to bitch about this at all. Like we we do love to complain to complain like sure. this has become it's weird. It's weird in that because in particular because of us, because of CBS and we do our candid coaches stuff, which will run later this summer. Um, like they, they know they can come to us and just they can vent. Yeah. It, it is. It has been. I don't want to call it a self-fulfilling prophecy because it's not that because coaches have good things to say as well. But one coach was like, it's July and we're just going to we're going to go off the record and just bitch to you anonymously. It does <laughs> us no good to do this. Um, and he was sitting next to the coach who, who wound up talking to me about the fact that this is going to change seven or eight years from now. Anyway, um, they were they, they did have legitimate points and valid gripes there. And the coach also said, because he talked about the camps, he said, this is going to be a disaster this year. Right. But his guess is that two years from now, his guess, we'll see if it happens, he actually thinks that the end of July camps will have better attendance and it will be a better run operation. Um, he quoted Frank Martin, who was not sitting near us or anything like that, who said, because um, Frank Martin was apparently on a call like some i don't know if an nbc he was on some sort of call mm -hmm. uh, so i'm getting this information second yet but he said how many people were on this call were at the first peach jam and like no one said he's like i was there the first year of peach jam nobody was there it wasn't a great event it was just another event and now look what it's become now granted it's a it's a competition setting it's not a it's not you know this camp setting where it's just inherently it's different but martin he did have a, a generally good point right. so we wait and see but your general point is in year one when you're hoping to get some sort of forward movement and real impact it's just that momentum is not there uh from any side of this from the coaching from the coaching side from the prospect side and from the people that run grassroots basketball and, and frank who i respect immensely and have a good relationship with he like subtweeted me last night like he, he was clearly referencing my column like oh you know it's july and here's coaches complaining about this you know he's like um you know but i heard from a lot of coaches who like the high school events in june and to that i would say um first off i've had some people say well why won't these coaches go on the record well you know or or to your point you know a coach said to you ah oh, here they go you know bitching anonymously yeah well the reason they're bitching anonymously is because before these 
changes to the recruiting calendar were even announced in August, they got an email from the NABC, National Association of Basketball Coaches, a meme email that I obtained that I have in my possession that I don't want to say demands because that would mischaracterize yeah. it, but strongly suggested that they should or asked as nicely as they could. Do not publicly criticize this. It does t- Same thing your coach said. It doesn't do anybody any good. Let's show a united front and stand behind these changes. And the reason I have that email in my possession isn't, and I've had it since the day it was sent, isn't because I randomly woke up on a day in August and said, um, and called a coach and was like, hey, you got any email from the NABC? The coach, I got it from, a, uh, from one coach, but it, every, uh, lots of coaches had it. He was mad. He's like, this organization is telling me I have to believe in something before I've even seen exactly what it is. And it doesn't matter what it is. I need to say, if I'm asked about it publicly, I need to support it. How effed up is that? And so they have not been um, denied the opportunity to, to bang on it publicly because I guess they could if they wanted to. Like if Mike Krzyzewski wanted to stand up and say, we did not do anything good here, who, what, who's going to do anything to Mike Krzyzewski? Yeah. But they are hesitant to speak about it publicly, negatively, because they've been, been instructed not to. So if you can't blast something publicly um, on the record that you don't like, well, how do you do it? You do it anonymously. And so that's how the column gets written. And to Frank's point, because I had another high school coach make the same point, like, hey, you know, some coaches um, enjoyed the high school events in June, watching players play with their high school teams in, in, a, you know, in a setting like that. Um, I, I will concede that that's true. I did talk to some coaches who said, yeah, that, yeah, that, you know, I went to the one in Atlanta and it was pretty Which good. was apparently, by the way, Georgia was apparently the best one. Right. But so I, I, I heard similar that it was, they were like, it was good. Like, I don't know what I expected, right. but it was, it was solid. It was not a disaster. But, but, uh, two things. On one, not every state participated. Right. So that was a problem. Like the NCAA, I think, assumed every state will we'll give states the opportunity to do this and then states will do it. I think it was like GP. I'm talking off the top of my, I feel like it was like. 17 or 18. Like it was, it was not a big number. Yeah. Not, not even half. I know that. Right. So there's that. And then the other thing I'd point, is, point out is this. Just because some coaches enjoyed the high school, the new high school events in June, just because some coaches enjoyed them, doesn't mean that this recruiting calendar is better than that recruiting calendar. It just means like, I mean, basically, if you talk to a coach in, who enjoyed the events in June, here's what they'd say. Yeah, I actually like that, um, but I still hate the whole thing in general. Like it, it's like if you're asking me what I like about a lesser thing, uh-huh. it's that I like that about a lesser thing. Although I had a, for every coach who said that, I had a coach say, "The problem with the June stuff is that we get our freshmen on campus in June." Yes, and you have to travel, and then we leave them. Top 100 camp at UVA is a separate thing as well. Yeah, yes, yeah. you leave them, and it's just another. He's yeah. like, so so I'd rather be on the coach said I'd rather be on the road in April. And July, like we used to be, instead of barely in April, barely in July, and then we got these two weeks in June, these but this clunk, uh, uh, this 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 um, collection of days in June, because we just moved our freshmen to campus. Hey guys, we've been recruiting you for three years. You're finally here. See you later. Like it's like so so yeah. yeah there are some people who like the high school events in June, just as many people who didn't. But either way, it's just one aspect of an inferior thing. For instance. 
when I'm in New York, I typically stay at, at the same place every time. But sometimes I stay at this other place, and it, it'll it'll be it, for it could be for a variety of reasons. Usually because I'm just going to be there one night. I don't really care where I'm staying. And this place is literally across the street from the CBS Broadcast Center. You know the hotel. Yeah. Um, you could walk out the door, be in the CBS Broadcast Center in one minute, right? But when I'm there, I don't usually. I'm I'm flying there tomorrow. I'm not staying there. And the reason is because the hotel's not as good. The rooms aren't as nice. The food options right outside the door aren't as good. And so if you were to ask me, so, GP, what do you think about that hotel that's right across from the CBS Broadcast Center? I'd say, well, it's super convenient. It's like that's one thing I like about it. But, okay, but do you like that hotel better than this hotel? No, I like the other hotel better because it's better in every other way. It's just that I like this one thing about the hotel that's close. Same thing here. The new recruiting calendar is undeniably inferior to the old recruiting calendar. And just because there's this one aspect of it that some people like, high school events in June, doesn't mean that on the whole, if you gotta take package A or package B, nobody I talk to, literally nobody I talk to, would take this recruiting calendar over that recruiting calendar if you had to take the whole thing. That they liked one part of it doesn't, yeah. doesn't, doesn't mean that the first part's not true. And when I say every coach I talk to, I mean every coach. In fact, I went to some coaches that I was having a lengthy conversation with about this Thursday night maybe, and I said, do you know anybody who actually thinks this is better? Not that, you know, they don't think it's better, but they like the thing in June, but they still don't think it's better. I I mean, thinks the new recruiting calendar is better. No, nobody thinks this is better. Some people don't care. Some people are like, eh, it doesn't matter to me, whatever. That's just, yeah. Yeah, the best you can hear from a coach about would you rather have this or that? If they nobody says this, the best you'll hear is, it's um, it's it's fine, whatever. I don't care. It doesn't really affect me that much. I'll just adapt. Nobody says, oh yeah, this is way better, and let me tell you why. At least I haven't heard that from anybody. And I reached out to a high-ranking NCAA official prior to Peach Jam, um, just to find out if the NCAA would have any sort of similar presence, or if there was just anything NCAA related to know about this live period. And the answer was no. Um, so what I, the NCAA kept the option open to to a tweak for year number two next year, right? Um, we'll see if that happens. I, I don't think it's a encouraging sign for coaches that want to might see all right let's shift this and this obviously july is going to come and go the nabc and the ncla will eventually have conference calls and do it their committees and they're going to do what they're going to do uh but the point is um while there might be minor tweaks i i think we'll be in the same spot a year from now and 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 because i asked this to somebody i was like okay so if all of you guys think this is bad like there's no reason it can't be fixed before the 2020-21 recruiting calendar is finalized. And they said, I said, is that true? First off, like, uh, is that true? Right. It could be fixed if the people in power wanted to fix it. And I was told, yes, it could be fixed, but unlikely to be changed slash fixed. And among the reasons I was told is that it could be interpreted as a slap in the face if Condoleezza Rice. Right. That they would be hesitant to embarrass such a prominent figure by erasing the work she did in you know after one year and so i think that's crazy like you know in life whether it's this or any aspect of life if you have made a mistake that is a clear mistake 
I just sort of have the opinion, maybe as I've gotten older, perhaps I didn't subscribe to this when I was younger, but like if it's if you've messed up something, like acknowledge it and try to fix it. And if the NABC is actually interested in listening to what coaches genuinely think about this, then they will do they will make changes. But I don't think that's the way this is going to go down. I agree with you. I don't think it'll go down. And the other thing I've heard and then we'll move on to um, Amani Bates, is that I got some of these tweets last night and this morning. Well, you know, people always hate change. Everybody hates change. And that's the thing you hear often, you know, people like, well, everybody hates change. And I just feel like that's one of those phrases people say, that they say it because they've heard other people say it, but it's like just not true. People don't always hate change, do they? No. No. Like, when I first got married, I lived in a house. It was a stereotypical starter house. It was fine. We were lucky to have it. Um, but then I, at some point, like my jobs got better, and my paychecks got better, and we moved into a different house. And it was different city, different school district, um, different neighbors, made my drive to basically everywhere I go longer. It was a lot of change. I loved it. I didn't hate I didn't hate it because you know everybody hates change. I loved it. I thought it was amazing. I went from a certain type of house to a different kind of house. It was a significant change. I didn't sit there going, I hate this because you know I just don't like change. I was like, this is an amazing change. Look at our floors. So the idea that people <laughs> so the idea that, so the idea that people don't like change is just crazy. People don't like change when the change doesn't make any sense, when the change isn't positive. And so I submit <laughs> that the NCAA made change here, but they didn't make positive change, good change. They moved to a worse house. They, they Bad moved floors. <laughs> with terrible floors. And so I hope they fix it. Not for my sake, not only because I'm missing out on an annual trip to Las Vegas, which could play into it a little bit, but just I hope they fix it because it's not good. And we, we should say, uh, in, in bottom line it this way, okay. it's also not good for the players. That's the biggest thing. Yes. It, it really should be the biggest thing. There are literally thousands of basketball prospects whose opportunity to be in a gym in front of college coaches who could change their lives with a scholarship offer, um, they have had those opportunities decreased by a not insignificant number. And that's another um, not good thing connected to this. The opportunities for young people to be in front of coaches who can change their lives has been diminished to not nothing, but diminished to a level that um, I, I, I can't imagine anybody would call ideal. I agree. All right. We've got Imani Bates to talk about. He is a fascinating kid with a fascinating story. We're going to get to that. But first, a message from our sponsors. My name is Connor Tapp, and I'm here with Trey Scott, my co-host on the College Football Daily, a podcast from 24-7 Sports dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. Every Monday through Friday, from here to eternity, we are adding depth and context to the biggest headlines in college football. But we're also diving deep into topics like the Iowa Hawkeyes' secret sauce for developing NFL linemen and what the era of big money conference TV networks means for schools like Boise State. So if you share our point of view that college football has no offseason, subscribe to the College Football Daily now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
or wherever you listen to your podcast. Hey everybody, it's Frank Stanfield from Fantasy Baseball Today. Don't worry, Adam Azer isn't going anywhere, and neither is FBT. The MLB season is delayed, but that just gives us more time to deep dive players, argue about rankings, and find this year's Cattell Marte. Regardless of what format you play in, Roto, Points, Keeper, Auction, Dynasty, we've got you covered. We're here for you five days a week, so make sure to download and subscribe to Fantasy Baseball Today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So, there are, as we mentioned, eight of the top ten class of 2020 prospects here. The top four class of 21 prospects here. And yet, the, I think on some level, biggest attraction outside of Bronny James, because he's LeBron James' son, um, is Amani Bates. He is a basketball prospect who just finished his freshman year of high school. He is widely considered to be the best high school prospect in the country right now, regardless of age, which is, I don't even know the last time anybody said that about a rising sophomore. Right. Um, He is being called by some the best high school prospect since LeBron James. And I know I handled a lot of the uh, talking in the opening topic about the recruiting calendar. You have spent much of this week watching Imani Bates, talking to Imani Bates, talking to Imani Bates' father. I'll let you explain to people exactly what it is we've been able to see up close here. Sure, yeah, I'll take the the floor here. So um, every year we have – it seems just about every year, or maybe it's just been as of late, you know, uh, a rising senior is like, this guy just is, you know, from Zion. Bagley had this hype. Michael Porter Jr. had this hype. DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton. Jaleel Okafor had this hype. It just seems Julius Randle, Andrew Wiggins. Wiggins, like every year. And it's not that it's inaccurate. Um, and I don't think that... Uh, Jabari Parker. Yes, without a doubt. Like every year, it feels like it's like maybe not once in a generation, but just like the, the this, this next prospect that's coming up, uh, there's just something undeniably special about him. That's been true. But the thing with Amani Bates is, at the age he's playing at, how he looks, he's he's about six eight and a half. I asked his data for his specs, six eight and a half, and I think he's at like two oh five right now. When you watch him play, I mean, just do a search on Twitter for video or go to YouTube. Um, he don't look like the other dudes. He is spindly, smooth, silky, just weirdly better than everyone in his age group and looks better than 17 year olds right now he turned 15 in january um looks like a special player he's young though like that's a he looks he looks good and i hope that he stays good he's the the problem with young the problem with evaluating 15 year olds besides the obvious is is when you're evaluating 15 year olds who are small because they might not get bigger he's already big he's big it's already like it's it's hard to imagine a scenario where He's not thought of as he's not thought of the way he's thought of right now. Yeah, two years from now, three years from and now. And Evan Daniels, who's done this forever, I sat down with Evan on Wednesday when we got in. I he was I the first game I went to here was when Bates was playing, um, and we watched him play. And he said, uh, "I really try and resist. Like I, I make it a personal point not to overhype kids and like put these labels and compare them to guys. But he's like, 
his skill set right now is like it is undeniably Kevin Durant esque at his age, and, sure. and just projects out. He says he's the best Bates when he saw Bates earlier uh, this year, uh, and even in the last year, just the most talented freshman basketball player he has ever seen. And Evan's been doing this in a professional. And, and Eric Bossy said the same thing. Another notable longtime recruiting analyst, and so, um, and I and I, I think it's important to point out. Recruiting analysts, the guys who do, like we we come to some events. We don't, we're not recruiting analysts, right? So, um, and most people aren't the people who watch YouTube videos. But the guys who actually do this for a living, like it's their job to go to everything and evaluate prospects at a very young age. They are the ones who usually push back on this stuff. Yeah. Like remember when there's a video of Thon Maker and everybody's like, Thon Maker is Kevin Durant. And the recruiting analyst is like, no, he's not. Like, stop. You're you're doing a disservice yeah. to Thon Maker by l- comparing him to Kevin Durant because he's n- he's just a he's a tall basketball player who's got a nice YouTube video, but he's not Kevin Durant. We've seen him in the gym fifty times. Um, they usually push back on these kinds of things. So when it's the re- same recruiting analyst that usually push back on this stuff, embracing it, actually like pushing it. That says something to me. It's it is it is significant. Um, and he is undeniably a major talent. He actually wound up playing at the same time as Bronny James. The wild thing about the the Peach Jam event was, you know, they had they first of all Nike moved their original tip times. I don't know why they're supposed to play in the morning. They moved them to, to the late afternoon. Uh, the line to get not for Amani. For Bronny James, and he's a whole other separate thing. Half of it, I think, was people thought LeBron James might show up. LeBron James did not show up. Chris Paul showed up, and he was and there a- about three hours before he got <laughs> traded. That was really, really weird. I wonder if Chris Paul had any idea if that was if that was going down or not. I kind of feel like he wouldn't have been so out there in the public. Maybe he just knew it wasn't going to happen in, like, in the next few hours. But he was he was in gymnasium number three at the Riverview Park Activity Center about three and a half hours before he got traded, which right. was wild to think about. That was during Bronny James's game. Um, I believe uh, LeBron's wife was there. LeBron's mother was there. Everyone was there except LeBron. Uh, the crowds to get into that were just absurd. Like, GP, I'm talking 400 people lined up outside the door more than an hour before his game was to start. Uh, and then Bates was playing in the other gym, so they're separated by a big uh, blue thick curtain that just splits the gym in half. And plenty of people got in to, to see Imani. But I wonder if a year from now, whereas Bronny James, like, if you told me when when Bronny James graduates high school, he's like the 97th ranked recruit in his class, it wouldn't mm-hmm. stun me. Like, he, maybe he'll be really good. Maybe he'll be a top 15 guy. I'm just, I just don't necessarily uh, see Yeah, it. like, I'm not going to tell LeBron how to be a father because by all accounts, he's an amazing father. Yeah. Um, but LeBron so publicly talking about I want to play in an NBA game with Bronny is like like I don't know Bronny looks like an NBA player. I mean he's, he's very young. young. He's, he's so a, young. He's so like, young. It's hard, but like it, it's not. Imani Bates is obviously an NBA clear, player. Clear difference. Like I would be shocked, barring injury, if he's not an NBA player. Bronny's just a guy right now. Andy, but he's still so young. Yeah, right? it's so just it's the, tough. It's tough. It, the, the, his fame f- far. Oh. Far outweighs yes. his actual ability at this age. Right. If his name was anything other than Bronny James, right? You and I, and even the recruiting analyst, right. wouldn't even know who he is. He's, there's a, I think his name's Dior Johnson. I don't have the roster in front of me. One of his teammates, awesome player. Like right. he right now looks like he'll be a top ten guy in his class when we get two, three years down the road. Uh, point being, Bronny James is is he was here, but and commands a ton of attention he'll probably be as 
tracked and followed on a Zion level just because of who he is. Like, sure. I think it will be that unless he winds up being like just a jag, I, which I don't think he'll be that, but it, that's that's inevitable. With Bates, a year from now, when I expect both of them to play in this event again, uh, I would expect that the hype around Bates will be much, much, much greater. Whereas this year, it was like the coach, some coaches, I'll get to that in just a second, media, they knew to get there to see Bates, and there were some fans. Uh, it was all more and more about Bronny James. With Bates, worry that there's just too much too fast on the kid. Although the family is doing a documentary, which... It, it, it undeniably adds to the circus. I mean, there's a three-person camera crew following him around. Um, his dad was nice enough to let me interview Amani for like 15 minutes after his game down in the team locker room. And GP for half the interview, I didn't even tell you this. So I saw half the interview. I got a boom mic like right in my face right. and a camera. Like, oh, you'll be in the documentary. I, well, I don't know. They're going to get hours and hours and hours of footage, and this is not going to go live until after. His dad said after he graduates high school. If it's three episodes, ten episodes, who knows what it's going right. to be and how it's going to be distributed. But it, it was just like, for me, that was like a surreal moment. Like, he's a young, soft-spoken kid. He's just 15 years old. And, you know, you hope that that kind of stuff, like, by the time he's 17, 18, it, he's just not like a completely different kid that's been just – you know, eaten up by the system before he even gets the chance to play in the NBA. And here's my final note. And I'll have a piece on this. I think that will go up Monday. Um, I'll reveal this piece of news on the podcast. I think I'll lead with it in the story. There's been a lot of discussion about Imani Bates being the first great player in the, what could be the first class to not face the 19-year-old age minimum rule as it currently stands right. in the NBA. Two things on that. One while it seems more likely than not that that is going to be 2022, I'm still not convinced that that rule will change by then. We don't know. It has not been officially decided. Adam Silver wants to change it by then. Adam Silver has to collectively bargain with the NBA Players Association, who will be represented and and are are represented by players that don't want to end their careers a year early. That what that is what will happen. You change the age minimum rule, there are going to be dudes who are 30, 31, 34. There's only so many roster spots. Right. So there's a there's a fight still to be so just keep that in mind. I think it will eventually change, but maybe it's twenty twenty three or right. twenty four. So that that's one. But two, the bigger thing is and this is what his dad told me, I don't think this is out there publicly. They are seriously considering the the potential to reclassify to twenty twenty one. Right. And if they do that, Amani himself told me don't know if we do that if we do it it's not not a guarantee right. for all i know it's more likely he stays in 2022 but if we do that maybe i take the year off maybe i train but i want to be recruited by big colleges i could very well go and play college basketball and so the fascinating thing with the bates recruitment right now talked to his dad on thursday had a great conversation at that point florida state was the only school and maybe Eastern Michigan, but I asked him major schools. Eastern Michigan. Shouts to Rob Murphy. He is on this. <laughs> he is on it. Okay? Eastern Michigan is on the Amani Bates train. But at that point, Leonard Hamilton, who I don't even know how much it was out there, that Florida State, and who knows how much they're like. they were. I didn't see Leonard Hamilton at Amani Bates' game so far. He plays later today. We'll see. Who knows? But Michigan State, who has been around the kid forever, just hadn't even officially offered him a scholarship. That wound up happening uh after on Friday, right. um, but Michigan State and Florida State are the only schools of note that have offered this kid. Be, and, and the reason, obviously, is because regardless of what the father says or the kid says, yes. most people do not think he's ever playing college basketball. Right, but that might but you not don't be know. accurate. And if I were Tom Izzo, I would sit in the gym and I would offer him. 
There's no doubt about it. And if, if they do wind up reclassifying and he is in the graduating class of 2021 when the NBA age minimum rule will not be effective by then, he will have the opportunity, if he can clear it academically, mm. if, we don't know, to play a year in college. And that might be what he wants to do. And his father straight up told me, this is not having a good effect on him. He wants to be recruited by the best of the best. Right. He's put in this work. He wants the colleges to recruit him, and it's just simply not happening right now. This is not unheard of uh, because you had the situation with a few players in the preps to pros era before it kicked in 2006. But since then, we have not had a situation like this. I don't care that he's 15 and, and you know maybe schools tend to wait a little bit longer to before they really get seriously involved. We have not had a – according to the national recruiting analysts, we have not had a player this talented – this identified this good at this age if you know if there wasn't the rumor of, a, of an age minimum if, if it was if we lived in a world where it was like no this is never changing like the right. age minimum like you would have kentucky and duke arizona all these schools in the gym they just haven't been there maybe it changes going forward but as of right now his recruitment is interesting unique and uh i, I don't know what to expect in terms of how things will change but i didn't expect what i saw the past two days gp with so few coaches at his game it just it is a weird look overall well that's why if i think if i were a coach and like Listen, these coaches, they do this for a living. They know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, if they're not there, they, they have determined on some level it, it's not worth being there right now. If we look up in a year and we need to get involved, we'll get involved in a year, but we don't need to spend our time right now watching a 15-year-old. That might really just be the, the, the best explanation. But to me, this is, this is different than the previous preps to pros era that we experienced because everybody thinks, as you pointed out, it's going to be 2022. That'll be the double draft. Yeah, where you get the high school seniors um, eligible to be selected, but nobody knows for sure. So in the previous preps to pros era, like it was a waste of time to recruit Kobe Bryant. It was a waste of time to recruit LeBron James. Uh, I remember Larry Brown telling me a story where he saw Amari Stoudemire for five minutes and told John Calipari, what are you doing recruiting him? You're wasting your time. He is never going to be on a college campus. Like Coaches would sometimes waste their time back then, but this is different because you knew Amari Stoudemire wasn't going to school. You knew LeBron wasn't going to school. Um, you think Amani Bates probably won't go to school, but if there is a breakdown in negotiations, um, then he might not have a better option than college and boy you get that dude on campus for one year whoo yeah something it would be it would be significant we'll see we'll see what happens but as things stand right now uh his recruitment or lack thereof is plenty interesting i do think the media coverage coming out of this weekend could alter things uh bates's father did tell me he's known he went to it was either juan howard's or Chris Weber's draft party back in the day has just known because I asked him what's what's what major schools are are you having consistent meaningful communication with, and that's when he told me he did not mention Florida State when I he mentioned Rob Murphy Eastern Michigan mm. uh, at Michigan State and Tom Izzo and I said are things like just getting going with Joan Harry? He's like oh sorry I didn't even I've known Juwan so long it was almost like I'm still not even used to him being the Michigan coach right. so Michigan is involved as well but as of us recording this podcast has not offered him a scholarship yet so uh, we'll see if that changes going forward but yes there is there is a cynicism or just outright skepticism over like you know 
whether he goes – if the rule is going to change, he's just going to jump. We're just not going to waste our time. I guess it just – it can't hurt, basically. It, it can't. Well, the, the other side of this is how often do coaches actually watch 15-year-olds? Not that often. No, but how often is there a 15-year-old of this level? Like it, never, it really right. feels like once every 15 to 20 years. It, it, we'll see how he progresses, and I'm basing that off of, again, the people that are paid to do this do it full-time and really know the talent when they see it because they see it so much. And I thought about this as we were talking. I said, um, you look at Imani Bates, and it's hard to imagine him not being an NBA player, like a lottery pick guy, like a number one pick guy. Like, that's what he looks like right now. And it's so – just go to YouTube, type in Imani Bates. His games from this Peach Jam are already on YouTube. Yeah. It's just he doesn't – he looks like an NBA player playing against kids. It's crazy. Um, as I'm saying that, I'm reminded of Renardo Sidney, who at the same age was talked about similarly. Not like he's the best thing since right. – But people are like, that's the dude, 15 years old, and that's the guy. And if you remember, they moved him. He's from Mississippi. They moved him to California. They like they he, they changed his life based on his basketball ability in a drastic way. And 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 uh, what triggered that was like you, they've already got a documentary crew following around Imani Bates. Yeah. He's not the only one, by the way. Just a quick side note: I don't know who I don't know who it was, but I saw another crew with another kid. Yeah. There might have even been a third. It's become a thing. Um, but. Continue, but yeah, yeah. So that's, like, that's and that's by the way the Lavar Ball effect un, undeniably. Right. But Bates' father is not. I want to make that clear. He is nothing like Lavar Ball. But this is not. It just it adds to a circus like element when you've got a boom mic traveling with you everywhere you go on the court. The game ends. They're right there in the huddle. Like it's just. I don't know yeah, if it's a necessary component. Yeah, it's just that. Largely, these kids have been kids forever, their whole lives. They've just been sort of, they grow up where they grow up. They're around the people they're around. They're friends with who they're friends with. They go to school where they go to school. And then you can drastically shake up their everything um, based on basketball ability. And it can potentially derail things to some degree. And I'm not saying that's what's happening with uh, the Bates family. And, and like, again, by all accounts, amazing father. You know, yeah. like I, I, I heard nothing to the contrary. Um, and but like you, ha you just have to be careful with these things because it, things can get out of control. And the Ricardo, Renardo Sydney story is is ultimately a, a sad story. And I think it is largely rooted in his parents made poor decisions between his age of 15 and 18. And it, it got him way off the tracks. And I don't expect that. I wouldn't predict it. But if you are a parent of a kid like this who has been ident identified at such a young age as the next great thing, I do think that there's probably um, – you need to be aware that there – you need to be aware that there's some risk of – of making this bigger than it needs to be without a doubt this is the first time i think we've ever talked about Bates on the podcast it will be far from the last uh we'll wait to see what else happens here uh with him going forward before we get out of here gp though mm -hmm. we are of course running way late we got to get over and see some games surprise, here. surprise 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 but uh significant news developed off the court it was Wednesday. With Wednesday, yeah, go ahead. Uh, NC State acknowledged that they have received a notice of allegations from the NCAA. And I want to give, first and foremost, the people at NC State, um, you know, I, I, I want to make sure that 
I want to give them credit for doing what I think is the right thing. You know, Fred Demarest, who's an associate uh, athletic director there, works in the uh, athletic department, formerly worked at Florida. When I first knew Fred, he was uh, the SI, Florida men's basketball SID with Billy Donovan. At Florida, he's moved on to be an administrator um, at, in, at NC State. And I, I thought they just handled this really well. They didn't wait for somebody to file a Freedom of Information right. request. They didn't try to hide it. They didn't redact it. They just said, hey, we got this thing. We knew it was coming. Here it is. They sent, they emailed it to people. They were like, hey, like I was just sitting in my hotel room in Augusta, and it was like popped up, email from NC State. Here's our notice of allegations. Like, not, not How like, refreshing is that? Sad yeah. that, that, that it is so refreshing? Yeah. yeah. It's sad that it is so refreshing. But so um, it wasn't even like we received our notice of allegations. Here's a quote. It was like we received our notice of allegations. Here's a quote from our athletic director. Here's the entire notice of allegations in a PDF file. Read through it. It's all, no redactions. Knock yourself out. It was awesome. Um, so I've had some people say, so is that going to be the new norm? No. Um, the reason NC State was happy to do this this way is because literally nobody involved in anything <laughs> is, there. is still there. Not the same coach, not the same athletic director, not the same players, nothing. So they're willing to be like, hey, let's just get this all out there and let's just be, let's move on. Um, but it is significant. And what it alleges, the main allegation is that former assistant Orlando Early um, worked a deal to get Dennis Smith Jr. I don't have the number right in front of me, but it's 47 little, total. It was, it was either 37 or 47. I think it, was it, 40, was, uh, it was more because initially it was, it was 40,000 dropped off. And then I remember the, it just, it was, it was more, I guess in total impermissible benefits, I'm pretty sure it was, it was 47,000. So, um, and they hit Mark Godfrey, who of course is now the head coach at, Cal State Northridge, Northridge. Uh, with a failure to monitor charge. And so it'll be interesting to see um, what happens next because they will punish NC State to some degree, and yet there will be pushback when they do because obviously the, the, the people who don't, who, the people who will not think the punishment fit the so called crime will base their argument on. You're punishing a coach and a roster for something that had nothing to do with them that predates them. Um, and yet yet that will still happen to some degree. And then it seems clear to me Mark Godfrey's going to you know, face some sort of suspension as the head coach at Cal State Northridge because when they hit you with the failure to monitor charge, that is the next thing that comes. Yeah. And so um, this is the first one. We talked about it on a few podcasts. I asked you to – Make your guesses. You said NC State, and then you took it back. I did. You don't get credit for this. I tell you, you asked me who's going to be the first one to get a notice of allegations. I believe I said NC State. You did. And then I was like, ah, I don't I, know. Then I gave my reasoning for my choices, and then you were like, And then I backed off of NC State. You did. Should have just stuck with my Should've first answer. But NC State is the first. Um, there is at least one more program that's expected to get one in this month of July. Yeah. And then a total of six at some point. This summer, yeah. according to yeah, a senior official with the NCAA who talked to our friend and colleague Dennis Dodd on the record on the record. Yep. So this is the first one, but it won't be the last one. And I think what you can uh, surmise from this one is that they are going to rely in some cases heavily on information from the federal trials because this stuff was in the federal trials. Yeah. And secondly, 
it used to be coaches moved on. What can we do? Like the, the, the failure to monitor charge hasn't always been there. Mm-hmm. So all the time, coaches would be at one place. Their program would endure um, an NCAA investigation that led to uh, allegations, that led to punishment. And the school would get punished, but the coaches were gone. And there's nothing the NCAA could do to them or nothing the NCAA did to them. This is different because Godfrey's now at another school. 20 years ago, he's untouchable at that school Yeah, uh, to some degree. Now they, they got this failure to monitor charge. They hit him with it, and they'll punish him at his new school. And I, I, I guess I'd, I'd, I'd say this. Who knows exactly which schools are going to get hit next? Who knows exactly what the formal allegations will be? But if you are, and just for the sake of this conversation, because we've talked about this before, if you assume that it's Louisville gets a notice of allegations at some point, that Kansas gets a notice of allegations at some point, that Arizona gets a notice of allegations at some point, um, you can, I think, also assume whether there are level one violations directly tied to these coaches, um, the coaches are still going to get hit with a failure to monitor charge. Like if, yeah. if you're like if you again, maybe in Arizona gets no notice of allegations ever. Perhaps that just never happens. Right? That's not going to happen. It, but that seems unlikely. But like, let's just you have an assistant caught on video <laughs> uh, that was played in federal court. An NCAA representative was in the building hey, and saw what Book Richardson did. I'm trying to play. Do what you got to do. There is. I'm playing benefit of the doubt for all, all right. my Arizona friends out Dude, there. All right. Um, let's just perhaps. Arizona never gets a notice of allegations. But if they do, like the best thing Sean Miller could hope for would be that he only gets a failure to monitor charge. Yeah. That's the, the best case scenario, a failure to monitor charge that leads to a suspension of some sort. Like that would be like if you told, I think if you told Sean now, hey, this is what it's going to be, and the only thing they're going to get you on is a failure to monitor charge, would you take it? He'd go, oh, yes, 100%, right? You have gotta, to. Got to figure that out. You'd kill yeah. for I would. Yeah. How about this? I don't know what Sean would do. I would if I were him. I would kill. If you told me right now, the only thing they're going to hit you with, you, forget Book and everybody else, but you, the only thing they'll hit you with is a failure to monitor charge. Will you take it? I'd say, yeah, I'll take that right now. Honestly, with Mark Godfrey, I'd take this. If uh, right now all they've hit him with is a failure to monitor charge, they don't hit him with you're the money guy. Yeah. They hit him with failure to monitor charge. I'd take that if I'm Mark Godfrey. <sighs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, Northridge hiring Godfrey to begin with was <laughs> just <laughs> completely stunning. Um, for all we know, uh, you know, I, I I did some asking around as of as of Friday morning. Um, you know, it it didn't seem as though another school had been given this yet. Like it, it could be very well that Louisville got the NOA. They're just not like same day, but like they're not completely. There's tight lip. No one under no circumstances. Because even even when you request it through a Freedom of Information Act, you know, request, yeah. they can still hold that off and be like, our lawyers are reading it. We have to redact it. Yeah. This is a process. Like they can hold it from you for a for a while yeah they can and so it is possible that right now another school has one yeah and they're just they're doing exactly what i just explained yeah uh from what i understand it it, it has not uh been handed down 
at any other school yet. It, it could, but from what I understand, that's not the case. It wouldn't surprise me at all if it happened this upcoming week. If you know, with what Dodd got, they want to do a, a one-two. I, I would think that it, if it hasn't been done, then within a week from now we'll get that, and we'll just wait and see which school that is. And if it is Louisville or Kansas, that is you know, NC State in and of itself is is something, but. Um, Louisville, be, Louisville and Kansas are more interesting because NC State has none of those, those people there anymore. Um, it's going to obviously vacate records or whatever, but Louisville doesn't have the people there anymore, right. but it was on probation, so then it's the question of what happens. How do you punish a school that was on probation did this? With Kansas, Self and Curtis Townsend are still on. Yeah, at Arizona, if they there. are ever punished, yeah. it, it, like the people there right now, are, they're, they're still it's the same people. At least, at least it's the same head coach. Yeah. At Kansas, same head coach. At LSU, same head coach. Um, at Louisville, totally different cast of characters. Um, at NC State, totally different cast of characters. And perhaps it's a conversation for another day, but it is a conversation that inevitably is going to come up. What do you do to NC State given that nobody's there anymore? Louisville, given that it, they, they cleaned house completely all the way up to the athletic director level. Um, because on one hand – you cannot just let the school skate Can't. because, well, nobody's there anymore that had anything to do with this. And then on the other hand, man, it would suck if you went to uh, school at Louisville, recruited there by a coach who had nothing to do with anything, and now it's your junior year and they're just going to ban you from the NCAA tournament over something that had nothing that totally predates you and your coach and his entire staff and your athletic director. And I don't know that there's an usually on these issues, I can think about it for five seconds or five hours and I'll get to a place where I go, eh, well, here's what here's the way you handle that. On this one, it's tough. I don't know that there's an obvious right answer. No. And as we wrap the podcast, I will say this. I have talked to a couple coaches over the recent months who have made the point in saying, um, it's not an easy thing, but this information when it came out with the FBI case, like for the players who were there and were recruited there and opted to go there afterward, like there was always the possibility that significant NCAA sanctions could come down. So you still opted in. You made the choice to play there. So right. if anything happens there, we both agree that if it happens, the player should be able to transfer without penalty immediately and go play somewhere else without a doubt. Uh, but, but like I've heard from coaches who have even said, you know, if if you get hit, if those coach like Kevin uh, Keats or uh, or Chris Mack or anyone else, like they, you took the job, and right. Mack's contract protects him as it should. Now, now Mack took the job knowing this. Yes, Keats. Keats was before. Yeah, Keats took this job not knowing this was a thing. It's not an easy situation. Yeah, but they're gonna get hit in some way. I mean, so he maybe. might have known this might be a thing. Sure, but I, Chris clearly took the job after all this was out. And so he knew what he was getting into. It was negotiated in the contract for yeah. an automatic extension. Um, I'd have to look it up. I believe none of the Dennis Smith Jr. allegations were actually out there on the day that Kevin like Keats took the, the job. job. And that makes it a little different, I think. You know, um, It's tough. You know, Our buddy Rob Doster, he and I were having the same conversation at dinner the other night. And one, you know, again, everything's more complicated than you're going to make it on a podcast. But one of the points he made was, is a solution, forget um, postseason bans, because you're punishing people who don't deserve to be punished, who did nothing wrong. Um, forget 
scholarship reductions because you're punishing a coach who did nothing to deserve that. Um, just big financial fines for the university. Um, hey, you, you're the institution that employed the guy and the people who did this. You are to be held responsible. It's a $10 million fine. It's a $20 million fine. It's a not insignificant amount yeah. of money that leaves the basketball program as it is intact but punishes the university that ultimately is responsible for employing these people. Obviously, the um, universities would have to agree to this, and I don't know that universities are ever going to agree to being um, susceptible to a $10 yeah. million dollar fine from the NCAA, yeah. but that does that, that at least seems like a way where you punish a university for, for wrongdoing under its umbrella, but you allow the players and the coaches who are now in place who did nothing wrong um, to operate under normal circumstances. Again, it's an issue much more complicated than that, yeah. but it, I, I at least found it somewhat interesting. It is interesting. We'll see uh, what what next school comes, and I would guess it'll happen before our next podcast. Um, we will not podcast again until Colorado Springs. I'm going to take vacation next week, so we wanted to give you a nice lot. This Ooh, is 70 Dorlander minutes vacation. Plus. You want to tell people how glamorous your vacation is yeah, going to be? I really don't. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, uh, well, I, uh, you know, the first part of it, which is not going to be glamorous, but on, on the back end, we are going to, we are going to go spend some time in Vermont for a few days. But, uh, but the first part is not, not ideal. <laughs> me with the kids, just not, not good. But anyway, so we will, uh, we will chat again person to person when we go to Colorado Springs, it'll be team USA. I don't even know if it's a training camp. I don't know what it is. We've never done this before. <laughs> By the way, send me a link to where I need to tell the people at USA Basketball I'm coming. Oh, you're not even. You're not I haven't done that yet. Okay, now I'll get that to you. Yeah, you might want to get on that sooner than later. Uh, but I booked my flights and hotels. Have not actually told USA Basketball. It would I'm probably be better be if you did that sooner yeah, than that later. Today. Yeah. So we will. Uh, we will podcast again. Uh, probably a. a, a 13 to 14 days from now, but we appreciate the listenership, particularly uh, in the summer. And, GP, the, these games are starting at the Peace Jam. We, we need to get out of here. We need to call the Uber ASAP. Shouts to David Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Just up the road That's there. That's right. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle, the legend. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to Aquaman. Shouts to Rob Murphy. Shouts to Rob Murphy. And shouts to Frog Hollow. What's with those dreams, man? Shouts to... Nick Saban, his daughter Kristen Bell. I don't. I don't even know the brain chemistry that goes on. But it's Dream, the, dreams are insane. I like the idea that all this stuff is in your head. I know. I don't know crazy. what. I don't know. People what was going don't on. think about dreams enough. The idea that you go to sleep and that stuff runs through your head is crazy. And a helicopter crash with you and Aquaman. Like five hours ago, that happened. Remember, subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rate it favorably. Five stars, nice comments. That all, that's all I've ever asked from you. So please do that. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again real soon. So then, take care.